morning. Really glad you're here this morning. Uh, as the roll-in said, we're starting a series this morning called Suburban Myth. And we're looking at the different ways that people pursue meaning. There are a lot of common avenues in our culture and actually for the last thousands of years that people have pursued to find meaning in life, to try to piece it together and figure out what it's all about. In the image for the series, you can see there's a, the front of a house with nothing behind it, which represents the facade uh, that many of the avenues we pursue actually are, and so we're going to look behind those avenues. We're going to try to figure out where meaning is found and evaluate what's real. What we're going to do in this series is going to be a little different. It has a little different feel for me as I walk through... Uh, the series because we're going on a journey with an ancient king who pursued meaning. Just he 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 was at the end of his life, and he had tested and checked out all kinds of ways to find meaning, and he's sharing what he found. So we're going to walk through this with him. He he had put his hopes in many different pursuits, and he'd come up empty many many times as he pursued these things. Uh, he, he was filled with regret for some of his choices, and he evaluated, so he, he wanted to know and share with us what was, what was real. So <clears throat> the interesting thing about this king is he had the unique ability and resources to actually do the search. I mean, we, we think about the search sometimes and want to take it, take it on, but we just don't, we just don't have the, the ability or the resources to pull it off. But because he did, we can gain a tremendous amount of wisdom from what he learned on this search. He wrote about this search in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. Very, very different book. And so as you walk through it, you're trying to figure out, how did this end up here You know, in, in the scriptures? But it becomes clear as you walk through with, with the author, Solomon. So let's take a few minutes uh, to, to meet the author. Um, Solomon was the third king in Israel, uh, an ancient king. He was the third king. We did a deal this week, and uh, the, the first king was Saul, King Saul. He had no heart for God. You do the little heart. We did this, these motions, and honestly, doing them in front of you looks ridiculous right now. But anyway, they really help you remember it. King Saul had no heart. Um, king David, the next king, he had a whole whole heart. Solomon, half a heart. He he was half-hearted in his commitment to the Lord, and that that shows up in the pursuits that he takes to find the 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 meaning of life. Anyway, he took over the kingdom, and after making some necessary moves to stabilize his kingdom, the Lord showed up in a dream, and he asked Solomon, uh, what shall I give you? And th- this was no genie. This was no pretend genie cartoon kind of pre- This was the living God. The living God shows up in a dream, and he asked Solomon, what is it that you want? And in this moment... Solomon responded in a very noble way. He made a request that pleased God. 
He, he asked God for an understanding mind to discern between good and evil so that he could govern the nation of Israel, God's people. That pleased God. Here's God's response to his, his request. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemy. So he didn't ask for anything for himself, you know, anything to indulge himself. He asked for the ability to serve in his leadership role and to serve well. But because he didn't ask for all this stuff or revenge, uh, he said, God says, you've asked for understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. In other words, I'm going to give you understanding. Tremendous amount of wisdom. I, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, that no other king can compare with you all your days. So here we find out Solomon was blessed by God with wisdom together with incredible wealth. This means he has the ability to go on this search for meaning that you and I may have thought about many times. I'd like to go on that search. I'd like to have the ability to, to see if wealth is what it's all about. But anyway, he, he had the ability to confirm the common avenues for finding meaning or explode them as myths. And this is what he did. This is what this book is all about that we're going to look at. Um, he could also articulate his findings because of his wisdom. He, 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 could, he could share them in a way that really get, you know, is clear to us. So even at the beginning of his reign, as I said, Solomon didn't wholly follow God. He had half a heart for God, just half. And at one point during his reign, he turned completely away from the Lord to pursue meaning, to pursue life apart from God, to find out, is there anything besides God that makes life work? And this is the point in 1 Kings 11 where he did that. For, for when Solomon was old, his wives... Now, God instructed kings. In, in this part of history, men had more than one wife. And he, God instructed kings not to take too many wives. I'm not sure why God, in the progressive way of rolling out what he wants us to do, you know, allowed this. But Solomon didn't listen. This, this is his half-hearted. He, he had 300 wives and 700 concubines. So he had 1,000 women that he loved, I guess. I don't know. How do you do that? Anyway, um, he had been warned not to take particularly foreign wives because the, the concern was that they would lead his heart away from God, and that's what happened. He was old. When he was old, his wives turned, turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, uh, the abomination of the Ammonites. And so Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord, as David, his father, had done. Now, David wasn't perfect, but he, he wholly followed God. When he messed up, he came back to God. Anyway, Solomon writes the book of Ecclesiastes after his turn away from God, after he'd been disillusioned seriously by life. And in the midst of 
incredible regret and frustration, he searches and sorts to make sense of this life. And in the wisdom that God gives him, he draws a definitive conclusion as to what life is all about. He he makes that clear. But we're going on the search with him as he looks for meaning in life apart from God. He answers the question, what's the point? He answers it with an emphatic declaration. We'll see this as it unfolds. I'm not going to ruin, you know, I'm not going to, there's no spoiler here. (laughs) We'll see what happens. But I'd like to take a moment just to talk about Ecclesiastes itself, the book that we're going to be digging into, because this, this whole series is just we're going to walk through his different avenues that he pursued to find meaning. And you need to understand something about this book. A major key to interpreting the Bible correctly is to pay attention to what kind of literature you're reading in it. Um, it's full of different kinds of literature. There's history, there's law, there's prophecy, uh, there's, there are personal letters that were written that were inspired by God as, as men were trying to communicate the Christian life to others, and there's biography. Well, Ecclesiastes is in a section of the scripture called wisdom literature, or sometimes it's called poetry. And so uh, these books tend to be very creative expressions of the truth. And you have to read them accordingly. This, this means that you don't take every word or statement in the book as truth in a literal sense, but you look at what is being communicated and you, you, you sort through the creativity and you look at the meaning behind it. That's the absolute truth that God is sharing with us. We're going to read some dismal, dismal and regret-filled statements from we're we're starting off. It's he's he's not he's 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 in a downer place. Okay, when he starts the book, and so we're going to read some of these, and we need to understand that you don't absorb these as truth uh, from God's perspective. The reason the the statements are in the Scripture is because they connect to our heart. They they help us connect. To what the author is trying to say. You know, po- poetry connects in a way that prose or biography doesn't. Biography connects in a way that history doesn't. So, anyway, because of this, to some extent, um, we need to realize what we're reading so that we can sort out what God's trying to say to us. We're on the same search. That's why, that's why this book's in there. He, he shares, he's actually bearing his soul to us. And it's like we, we get to read his diary. And, and so we're on the same search and we can identify with what he's saying often. And, and, and we've, we've hit spots like this where, whoa, what is going on here? So as we can identify with him, we only try to absorb his God-directed conclusions. And so we're going we're gonna to look at those as we go along. But those are what we want to soak into our, our minds. Now, the approach of this book is very current. You know, when I, when I was growing up, movies had a certain formula. It was like bad stuff happens, and then everything's better at the end. You know, I mean, that's, I like those movies. I like to go to a movie 
and bad stuff's going on, but when the movie's all over, all the loose ends are nice and tidy, and everybody's happy, and then we go back to real life. Well, now there's this trend in movies where you have to leave it open-ended. I remember the first movie I watched like this, Unforgiven, Clint Eastwood. I'm like, I spent two hours to be left in the dumps. I mean, I am really, but that's disturbing. And so there's this trend in movies now where, you know, you, you go through all this rough stuff and then you're, you're just left hanging. And that's, that's actually real life. I go to the movie to be entertained. I try to avoid those kind of movies. I mean, so, some of them are good, but that's too much like real life. And that's why this script, this book is in the Bible. That's why it's a part of the scriptures, because to avoid a life that's merely a facade, we have to deal with reality. We have to look at what really is, not, not what we want it to be, not what we can paint on the silver screen, but we have to look at life for what it really is and then draw our conclusions and find meaning in the midst of reality, or we end up in despair. So, we're going on this search, and life is full of questions, problems, issues, that don't get resolved. They don't. We can try to pretend that these questions don't exist. We can come to church, we can sing songs, and we could talk about things that sort of deny that they're there. But when we do that, we're less than whole. We're less than, we're living a less than meaningful life. Some, some of these unresolved matters, they gnaw at us. And no matter how hard we try to block them out of our minds, they, they rob us of our joy. They, they take it away. So we're going to walk with Solomon through the common avenues that he pursued to find meaning apart from God. Now, here's an overview of some of the questions we're going to answer uh, through this series. Uh, Solomon answers these. First of all, is there an answer to every equa- equation? You know, we go to, cla- we go to math. There's, there's supposed to be an answer to every equation. You know, and we get used to that. And we start thinking, if, if there's no answer to my problem, then what's life all about? I need somebody to give me the answer. Specifically, our, our question tends to be, will more knowledge help me solve my core problems in life? And we tend to run to this with health, health issues. We're making tremendous advances in medicine. Sometimes when you get sick, you think, well, it, you know, it's, I'm sure they've got it figured out. You ever run to that thought? I mean, I'm sure, you know, it's, it's kind of rough, but I'm sure they've got it figured out. Should I expect some things to remain un, unresolved? That, that's that's the question we're going to answer. Um, next week, we're starting there. Third week, we're going to talk about, will doing exactly what I want make me happy? Now, Solomon, he was a king. He could do whatever he wanted. He could check this out. Some think pleasure is an avenue that we should pursue to find meaning, especially when we're you know, bored with our everyday routine. You know, We're just charging ahead. But we think, if I could... If I could free myself of all the restraints of my responsibilities and pursue what I really want to do, I'd find meaning. Well, we're going to look at that 
Solomon did. I mean, let's face it, he had a thousand wives, okay? Wow. Um, week four, how important is my work? Some people think that's, that's the path to meaning. Is my work and career the key to leaving my mark on the world? We're going to dig into that one. Week, week six, can religion give my life the meaning I crave? I, I'm not always feeling religion. I don't always feel religious. Will religion fill the void and bring the blessing I want? You know, it, it doesn't seem to all the time. And the answer to this one might surprise you, but we're going to dig into it. Our final question in week seven will be, is there any reality to these myths, these avenues that we pursue apart from God? Solomon points us toward a great myth buster that, when applied, brings reality to the forefront. And we're going to look at what that myth buster is. The, the way life is, it's the unresolved matters that cause us to begin our search for meaning often. It's the, the rough things, the disappointments that launch us on a pursuit. I'd like to show you a, um, a clip from a movie uh, called The Pursuit of Happiness. It was actually based on a true story uh, about a man who, who went on this pursuit. But I'd like you to, to watch this uh, because it shows him and what starts driving him to question what life is all about. Let's watch this. Hey, yeah, sorry, sorry I couldn't make it home on time. Chris, uh, I missed my ship. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry about that. Look, um, I'm on my way right now. Are you, are you all right with, with Christopher? I'm leaving. Chris, I'm leaving. What? Did you hear what I said? I had my things together, and I'm taking our son, and we're going to leave now. I'm going to put the phone down. Linda, I'm going wait to a leave. minute. Hold we on. are leaving. It was right then that I started thinking wait, about wait. Thomas Jefferson and the Declaration of Independence and the part about our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I remember thinking, how did he know to put the pursuit part in there? That maybe happiness is something that we can only pursue and maybe we can actually never have it. No matter what. How did he know that? Linda! Linda! There it is. That's what launches him to his question. And that's a downer too, isn't it? That's a, that's a, I'm bummed. And that's, that's probably emotionally where we need to be because we're going to start reading at verse 1 of Ecclesiastes. He's, he's bummed. It's, it's a bummer. But what happens is disappointment is what motivates us to pursue meaning and hope. And God's wired us together this way. But let's take a look at Ecclesiastes 1. 
uh, 1 through 11. We're just going to walk through these. Uh, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Solomon. Uh, Verse 2 is really the major theme throughout the entire book. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Five times he uses the word vanity. Another word for it would be meaninglessness. Um, Actually, literally in Hebrew, it was written in Hebrew, literally it means breath or vapor. Like, you know, just steam shows up and disappears. It's just fleeting, temporary. Everything's just a waste of time is what he's saying. It's used twice in twofold repetition. And whenever we want to communicate the maximum of something, this is what we do, isn't it? You know, it was the lowest of lows or it was the highest of highs. So you see where he's starting here. He is not in a good place and it sets the tone for the entire book. He makes a blanket statement about life and his experience of what the world has to offer. Vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, we're off to a very depressing start. Uh, he's trying, what he's trying to do, though, in bringing us into this state of depression that he's in, is he's trying to save us, the readers, the agony of learning the hard way about the things that he's learned. He's trying to help us get some truth so that we can learn it from him and not have to pay the price ourselves to learn it on our own. He he lets us know where he's at up front. You know, life is empty, hollow, it's meaningless. He, He will eventually arrive at some very hopeful conclusions. But for now, he just points out the futility of searching for meaning in this life and what the world has to offer without God. That, that's what he's saying. Verse 3, what, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Remember this, the end of a long, full life. And he's asking, what's there really to show for all this work I've done? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on the circuits the wind returns. You get the picture? He's spinning. He's spinning in circles. He's, life does that to you sometimes. Sometimes you're on a merry-go-round. It's just, you know, the problem with the merry-go-round, same scenery every, every time you go around. Sometimes it's the zipper. You ever been on the zipper? My wife talked me into going on the zipper one time. I told her, I tried to tell her we were at a carnival. Tried to tell her, you don't want me to go on the zipper. But she loved those things when we were younger. And so we went on the zipper, and she, I was miserable the rest of the night. She decided to never ask me to do that again. Sometimes it's the zipper. You know, but anyway, you get the idea of what's going on with him. All streams run to the sea, uh, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. Life is stale, and nothing is new. Then he shifts from the predictable repetition of nature, and he says the same thing true about humans. Round and round we go. Nothing is new, really, in any of our lives. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. 
The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. He's saying, what's the point? Now, this, this, is, this is a common thought in, in our world, that, that history is circular, it's cyclical. That's, that's not true. It's really not a biblical perspective, but this is where he's at. History is linear. God's taking us somewhere. There's a lot of hope in where he's taking us. It's not we're not in a circle. And we're going to find this out as we walk through Ecclesiastes. But for right now, he's on the merry-go-round. He might be in the zipper. We're not sure. Um, Is there a thing of which it has said, see, this is new. It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. All, All the world's toil, turmoil, it's like you never existed. Now, Solomon... We're going to see he had the party life. He had all the goodies. You know how you go to a friend's house and they've got, they've got stuff, and if you're not careful, you just start wanting the stuff they have. They're, they're, the, they're the ones who just, they're doing well in life. They're making a lot of money, and you go over there, and you're like, well, this, Solomon was this guy. He's the guy you go to his house. It was a palace, first of all. <laughs> he built some incredible Things. He built the temple for God. He built the palace for himself. And it is pretty amazing. So you go there. This is the guy. This is the man, Solomon. He had the, the he was cool, I'm sure. Pretty cool. Um, had all the friends you could have. He could buy them if he needed to. Um, all the experiences you could ever want. You know how sometimes you have dinner with somebody and they, it seems like they've done everything. You bring up something, yeah, yeah, I parachuted there, you know, I've done this. And, yeah. Well, he, he did it. You know, he's, he's the guy, I'm telling you, this is the guy. And he says, if, if life is only about these things, it's a facade. It, it's, th- this is it. Disappointment awaits those who build on all these things. So the first section's a downer. It is, let's face it. But Solomon is not trying to destroy all our hope. He's, he's bearing his soul. He's trying to bring us in to where he's been before he takes us where he's going. And you know how some teachers give you a quiz to prepare you for a test, which is supposed to prepare you for real life? Sometimes pop quizzes. The purpose of a pop quiz is to make sure that you're studying all along. So that you, um, you know, are ready at any moment to give the information back to the teacher, so that you get prepared for real life. I used to hate pop quizzes. I don't know about you. I hated them because they were, you know, by definition, they surprised you. And I personally like to put things off, you know, as long as possible, like you know, the night before the final exam or whatever it is. Um, Solomon is at the end of his life, and he's, he's taken the quiz, and it's, it's a multiple-choice quiz. He's tried all the answers. He's tried them all. What we're going to find out, there's, there's only one answer that brings meaning and hope, but we're going to walk through all the answers with him. The world we live in, what you find out, it's real. It's very real. 
There's purpose in what we're doing here on this earth. But it's really like a quiz. And we have all kinds of things that we could give our life to. It's, it's a multiple choice opportunity here. God gives us the freedom to choose what we're going to give ourselves to. And as we choose, he wants us to choose wisely. Because really, this life is preparation for the next. When it's really going to be good for those who follow God. The world we live in, it's very real, but mainly, like I said, it's like a quiz that God's using to instruct us. And thankfully, he, he gave Solomon the wisdom and the resources to go on this search so that we could learn from him. If all the answers we have are merely linked to this life and this world, we come up short. One thing you find from Solomon, we're not going to go into it again, I don't, no spoilers, no, no need for a spoiler alert. One thing you learn is we have to be tethered to something greater than ourselves, or life is meaningless. All the answers can be right in our minds, but in reality, there's only one that brings meaning and hope. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at what he found. Solomon's going to show us. He's, he's taking us on the search with him. Um, and right now in your, your life, you may be in a similar place as Solomon in your own pursuit. Life, life is full of loose ends. You may feel like your life has some loose ends. There are unresolved matters. There's maybe projects that you're working on and you're, or, or something you've invested in. You're not quite sure how it's going to turn out. Efforts that may go unrewarded, um, problems that aren't solved, and you're you're trying to want, you're figure out if they're going to be solved. Maybe health issues that may may just remain. There may be tension that lingers in relationships, conflicts that might not get resolved. You can, after all, you can only do what you can do to make it right, to straighten it out. In the midst of reality of life, there's a tremendous amount of hope. And we're going we're gonna to see what Solomon says about that. We're glad you're here. I'm glad you're here this morning. It's our desire that you connect with the God of the universe who made the world and who gives us perspective that's higher, that rises above our experiences and circumstances and helps us to uh, live the life that God intended for us to live. And it's there. We, we found that he makes more and more sense of life as you walk with him. He, he's the one. He, even through the disappointments, the lowest of lows. And so we're excited that you're here. We're, we're going to try to look at this question, what's the point? What's it all about? And I want to encourage you to draw conclusions. Um, don't, don't wait till the final exam to get ready to, to ask the question, what's the point? What's the meaning of life? But draw conclusions. Solomon is going to give you his conclusion. And I, 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 I want to encourage you to make up your mind as well as we go through this. Your conclusion as to what life is all about will shape your entire approach to life. Your perspective, your attitude, all of your decisions are shaped by what you think life's about. And so this is a very important topic we're looking at. 
in turn, your choices, your conclusions that you make are going to bring blessing and good or um, they're not. It will also shape your eternity in, in, into the future. So we're going to dig in. We're going to go on the search with Solomon. And this is not what I normally do, but we're going to leave you hanging this week. It's a cliffhanger week. We're not going to answer the question. Um, we're just going to leave it out there. So I'd like you, if you would, to take your connection card out of your program as the band comes up to continue leading us. And uh, if you would, please take any time that you need or take the time right now to finish completing any information on there that you'd like to complete or next steps uh, that I'll be suggesting. Then when the offering comes around, uh, you can drop the card in the offering. Here's some suggested next steps. Um, we're going to be walking through Ecclesiastes. First Kings 3 uh, is the first chapter about Solomon's beginning of his kingdom and the dream that he had. 3 through 11, or I think it's 11, gives you the whole history of Solomon, but you, you could read that if you'd like. But at least this week I'm going to read 1 Kings 3 just to get a little feel for what Solomon was all about. And then the next step is simply attend the rest of the series. We want to invite you to do that. God may have said something else to you this morning, and I'd encourage you to take that step as well. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for life that you've allowed us to live. Everything comes from you. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us to really sort out uh, who you are and who, who you made us to be and what life's all about as we walk through this series, God. We ask for your help in this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.